You don't need anger. Find a Grizzlebrand, and then you win. You don't need any of that other shit. Just reanimate your Grizzlebrand and go about winning the game. Don't get cute. Welcome to the Dead Format. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host, Thomas Smiley, a.k.a. Tom Ross Smiley, and we're here as always to talk about Legacy. I was channeling my inner leather jacket at SCG Philly this weekend. I had a blast, and I can't wait to talk about it. Bro, did you own a leather jacket when you were in high school? Oh, yeah, in early college, too. I remember it was like black leather jacket with like sort of flannel stitching on the inside and it was badass bro i'm shocked i really thought you were gonna say no oh no 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 my early 20s late teens personality was was something was something to see in rock and roll man yeah i I was on that uh it was called wilson's i don't know it was someplace in our mall leather jacket i don't know man i think i might still have it but i'm uh probably like 30 pounds heavier so it definitely doesn't fit yeah, well, you know what? You're doing way better than I am <laughs> when it comes to that. But so, so enjoy that. You want to uh, talk about? You were down in Philadelphia this weekend at the uh, SCG Team Open, two weeks in a row. Yeah, I went to my I went to my favorite venue on the basically Grand Prix SCG circuit, the Casino in King of Prussia. And even though the Casino isn't beautiful or amazing it's a casino with a magic tournament so it's already better than a convention center and i ran back infect how how was it this weekend it was great so my personal performance was kind of divergent from the team we'll talk about that but after last weekend in worcester i was really trying to figure out whether or not infect was the way that i wanted to go forward and i did a bunch of testing online before i made the choice to run it back with some small changes, but one of the decks I talked about last week being really excited to play was Grixis Shadow in Legacy, the build that did well in the Classic. And I played it online for a few leagues and really didn't like how the deck felt. I know that's not a very analytical thing to say, I didn't like how it felt, but it seemed to me in the matches that I was playing, the extra life loss from Street Wraith and Fetching Shocklands wasn't worth the boost in power level that you got from having Death Shadow over something else. So I think that even though Grixis Death Shadow did well in the team open, that that's not a deck that I'm interested in pursuing from here on out. I think I've sort of crossed it off my willing to playlist with the results that I had online. It felt bad. That's super interesting, man. I didn't realize that you played those leagues. Because we were pretty high on the deck. Yeah, and like thought experiment-wise, it was great, right? You get to play Thoughtseize, you get to have the Grixis cards that are great out of the sideboard, you have Death Shadow that's a better one-drop than the other Delver decks have. But going through and seeing how the matches actually played out, especially against Rug Delver, 
and and against death and taxes, your life total really matters. And putting yourself down seven to ten life to be able to play a death shadow really makes it easy for you to just get blown out by a couple of lightning bolts from another Delver deck that has a soft permission that you do. Yeah, I can definitely believe that. I haven't actually played the deck at all. I uh, wrote up a couple lists for it, and I was thinking about maybe testing it later on this week, but maybe I'll try tweaking the build even more then. Yeah, I I did not play the build with Stifle, so maybe Stifle is really what the deck needs to try to maintain its one casting cost spell mana advantage, but I felt that Stifle wasn't as well positioned as it was in the beginning of the format. Everybody is ready for it, and that's not a card that I want to be playing right now. So I played the version that had Battle Rage and Stubborn Denial, and I found it very underwhelming. And you test it, play it, see what you think, but that's not something that I feel comfortable playing going forward. Now, did you play any Tombstalker? I did not play Tombstalker. It was 4 Delver, 4 Death Shadow, 3 Angler... And then three Street Wraith. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, ship me the list that you played. Yep, I will send it to you. Awesome. So you want to get into uh, the tournament? Yeah, so I chose to play Infect again because I felt like even though last week didn't go great, I was at like 60%, I felt that the matches that I lost could have gone either way, and if things break correctly, I, I could have been undefeated. So we go down... I'm playing with my very good friend JT and Mike. That's our team. We've played in most of the team opens and Grand Prix together. And I really love traveling and hanging out and playing with those guys. Did you rock the uh, salmon shorts this time? No. Okay, so look. When we played in Worcester, both of my teammates wore black t-shirts, salmon-colored khaki shorts, and hats. Now, I always wear a hat, but listen, salmon-colored khaki shorts are some shits that I just cannot get behind. Even if they bought me a pair, I would have refused to wear them. So our team uniforms were off. I just wore jeans. I didn't have a leather jacket. That is my fault. Things would have been better for my team if I had a Tom Ross leather jacket. And just really quickly, my team also, the morning of Worcester, decided that our uniform was going to be salmon-colored khaki shorts. Totally independent of your team. We don't communicate at all. So it was just this grand coincidence. Yeah, I I just, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about those shorts anymore. They're a horrible <laughs> travesty. Really, nobody should be wearing them. That's the fashion tip for me for the summer. All right, man. Okay, so... I played the same list with minimal changes to the sideboard, few tweaks to the mana base, still running a basic forest and a basic island, that I think is definitely the way that you want to go moving forward. Having both basics did a lot of really good things for me. So, round one, we show up, I sit down, and I play against black-blue reanimator. I was on the play in game one, and being on the play is huge, I think I was able to daze and force anything that he tried to do and put a pretty quick clock on him, and he died in game one. Game two, in the reanimator matchup, you sort of take out a lot of your pump spells and play more of a fair chip-away-with-your-guys game and board into a a ton of soft counter spells. Graph Digger's Cage, Surgical, 
and then crop rotation for Bajukabog. And I won game two with two cages in play and three fluster storms and some other soft counters in my hand. So really, like there was just nothing, nothing that happened that was important in that match. Everybody wins, and we win our first round, so we're feeling pretty good. Round two, I sit down, and I'm playing against somebody who sees my playmat, and is like, oh, you listen to Leaving a Legacy? Those guys are great. This guy's playing Green-White Maverick, and in game one, he is on the play, and they end up losing to a turn two Stoneforge into him equipping on his turn three. It was like, Hierarch, Stoneforge get jit, cast jit, equip, swing. You deserve that one. Yeah, I mean, like, Stoneforge, Stoneforge killed me. When I when I play Blade, that's the way to go. Yep. But usually I had counterspells to back it up. So I'm not feeling good that I just lost a JIT, but I feel like for the Maverick matchup, the sideboards are favorable to Infect. So game two, he keeps a hand that has Thalia, but I counterspell the Thalia and then just kill him when he taps out for it. Game three... I think he probably should have mulliganed. He had a hand that had no spot removal. It had a mom. It had a pride mage, which is probably why he kept the hand, and it also had a Thalia. But he he also just straight up died to Blighted Agent that I didn't even have to protect. I had some counterspells in my hand that, just, that I didn't have to use. After the match, my modern and my standard player are still playing. I had just won. And since he had talked about leaving a legacy and said how much he liked it, I was like, so if you like legacy podcasts, I uh, I know of this one called The Dead Format. It's got some of, some of the same sort of leaving a legacy vibe. And he just sort of like eye-rolled at me. Like, dude, you just beat me and now you're telling me to listen to this podcast. So I sort of slide over between my standard and my modern player and they both end up losing their match. Uh, so we we take the team loss, but I'm 2-0. So round three, I sit down, and my opponent's on the play, and he plays a basic planes and a mother of runes. So he's on death and taxes, and I just end up rolling him. In game one, I actually won against an active JIT. So turn two was nothing. Turn three was a flicker whisk that I dazed, and then on his turn four... He cast Jit, equipped his mom to it, and swung. At that point, I believe he was already at nine poison, and I had three attackers on the swing back, so it was too late. In game two, he had an early sideboard canonist, and I think he kept a mana light hand that had a vial. So what ended up happening was the one of Wasteland hit his second land after after he missed his third land drop. And I Druid's Deliverance to his Vile. So he had one land in play along with a Canonist, and even though I wasn't able to play multiple pump spells, he just ended up dying. Yep. And he talked about how he ended up strand- uh, had a Holy Day in his hand that was stranded that he wasn't able to cast because he missed that land drop. Shout out to old school Holy Day. Yeah, that's that's a Pat Ugolo special. It's honestly, it's a playable card. It is. It hits True Name. It's yep. very good against Infect. It basically just hits everything. And I was fortunate that he wasn't able to hit his land drops to be able to cast it. Nice. Yep, so the team won that one. So I'm 3-0, team's 2-1, we're feeling pretty good. I sit down for round four, and I usually take notes during my matches, and in this match, 
my opponent led with basic island ponder into planes. So I wrote down miracles. Then I cross out miracles and I write down blue white stone blade when he plays a stoneforge mystic on his turn three. I think it was. He ended up dying before the jit that he got ended up entering the battlefield in game one. So I still think he's on blue white stone blade. Yeah. In game two. He leads on the play, and he fetches and cracks an underground seed of Thought Sees Me, and I cross out Blue-White Blade, and I write down Esper. <laughs> he actually ends up beating me in game two. After the underground seed Thought Sees, he played Cavern and cast a Meddling Mage to name Blighted Agent, which I had two of in my hand. And then he cast an Uncounterable Click and raced me. So I ended up losing game two. All of my interaction was dead in my hand. All my soft counters couldn't stop the meddling mage and the click because they were wizards and i lost that one and in game three i ended up getting underneath what he was trying to do and uh and win game three so i actually lost that matchup that same deck you're talking about i'd never seen that before but it was at like a blue white wizards uh esper wizards with a riptide laboratory which is a card i hadn't seen before yeah that's the land that lets you pick up wizards and rebuy them yeah, and he had Venser in his deck as well. That was actually what I lost the game three to was a uh, Venser I didn't see coming that was uncounterable. Yeah, it kind of um, it kind of reminds me of the old Joe Lissette Miracle yeah, Shell yep. that utilized Cavern on Wizards and played all those cards. And they have Legends too, so there's like some Caracas synergies. It looked like a really cool deck actually. Yeah, the mana base was kind of clunky, and I'm sure that his draws in the first and third game weren't the best. But I, I actually like the Infect Blade matchup, I think that they lack enough to be able to push through the soft counters when it comes to interaction. I certainly think that it's no worse than 50. Yes, definitely. All right. So my team actually wins that one. So I'm 4-0. I'm feeling pretty good. My team's 3-1. And, and I sit down for round five. Uh, and I play against Black Red Reanimator. And I get pooped on. Now... I like my reanimator matchup. If I could play against Black Red all day, I would do that. Because there's so many soft counters in the main deck and so much good stuff coming in from the sideboard that you're able to provide a clock and protect it. Really? So you didn't have white in your sideboard this week, correct? I did not. No, I dropped I dropped all of the white to have a better mana base. And I instead of running Rest in Peace, I ran another cage, which is also better against Storm. And I ran a Bazooka Bog because, one, I wanted to have something that I could bring in against lands and loam decks to just make a natural land drop to try to screw up their game plan. And I felt that having the Savannah main, it wasn't where I wanted to be. So you had a Surgical? I had a Surgical. A single one? Single one. Two Cage, two Fluster Storm, a Spell Pierce, a fourth Force of Will a Bazooka Bog, and another crop rotation along with the Caracas in the sideboard. So I brought in 10 cards. Yep. Okay, so anyway, this is how it went. Game one, he's on the play. And honestly, him being on the play won him, or won him that game. So he had Chancellor, and he had Ritual, Thought Seize, Entomb, Reanimate. My hand was Daze, Spell Pierce, Force of Will, Land... Glistener Elf, and a Pump Spell. And because he's on the play, I can't get through the Chancellor trigger and I die. Skill game. Yep, so get turn one. Game two, I'm on the play, and I mulligan a bunch because none of my hands beat anything. 
and I keep a hand that just has a naked surgical. Yeah. I play my land past turn, and I get again ritual, thoughtseize in tomb, reanimate Elishnorn, and Elishnorn is actually not the best card to get against Infect. Like, I understand that reanimator players are like, wow, they can never beat that card. But that's just totally wrong. If you got Grizzlebrand there, I'm just actually dead. Yeah, Caracas can deal with Elishnorn. Yeah, Caracas can deal with Elishnorn. Berserk can deal with Elishnorn. There were five outs that I was drawing to, yep. not including cantrips, to actually beat Elishnorn. Whereas if he got Grizzlebrand, I'm just actually dead. Because then you get your Grizzlebrand, and he brings along a buddy once you, you go through that whole thing again. Definitely. All right, so I lose that one, and my team loses, so we're 3-2. and two. And we know we have a lot of work to do. There are three more rounds left, and to continue playing, we basically need to win all of them. So I just got thrashed, and my team lost. I played, like five total turns of magic, three total turns of magic that actually mattered. So I sit down in round six, and I play against Sneak and Show, and he's on the play in game one. And he goes, Ancient Tomb, Lotus Petal, Show and Tell. And I'm looking at my hand, and I haven't made my land drop or anything, but I have a force, I just don't have a blue card. Oh. And I get I get turn one again. He puts an Emrakul into play, and then I just die. Gross. So... Three games in a row, I'm dead on turn one, and I'm like, I thought that I was ready for this, and I was definitely not. But again, I like my sneak and show matchup. The sideboard gives you a lot of extra interaction, and they know that they have to deal with every single one of your threats, because even though you're sideboarding some of your pump spells out, they know they can just die at any moment. So, I win a super tight game two, where he doesn't resolve a show and tell. I have enough Fluster Storms and Force of Wills to, to keep him off that while I just sort of chip in. And I think that I'm going to win a very close game three. I counter his first two show and tells. I have him at eight or so infect. And then he resolves a third show and tell. At this point, I am out of gas. My hand isn't looking very good except for the card that I put into play off of the show and tell. And I think when that show and tell resolves... Things need to go really well for me to win. So he puts his card into play. He flips it. He has a Grizzlebrand. And he's still at 19 life. And I flip the card that I put over in play, and it's a Needle. So nice. I, I needed the card that he put into play to be Grizzlebrand. So I needled the Grizzlebrand, so that was step one. Then I needed him to not have another Counterspell in his hand, which was fairly likely because I had countered the first two show-and-tells, and he didn't fight back over them. So I crop rotate for Caracas, bounces Grizzlebrand, and then kill him on the swing back, and win win the game three, and now my team is four and two. That's sick. So I was feeling really good that I got that one, because both of the other matches were done. We had kind of a grindy game two, so everybody was watching and commentating on our match, and then I ended up doing it for the team. So we have a few more rounds to go, and round seven I sit down, and I'm playing against Jarvis. So Jarvis Yu is legacy aficionado, streamer. He's an excellent person. He's somebody who's in a few of the Facebook group chats that I'm in that talk about decks and stuff, but I've never actually met him in person. So in game one, I believe he actually made a turn two or turn three Merit Lage. He had a Mox Diamond and an Exploration. 
he cast crop rotation for the missing piece that he needed, and he made his 2020. But I was on the play, and I had cast a Blighted Agent on turn two. So he makes his 2020 say, go, I untap and kill him. It wasn't really a skill game. I just, I had enough pump spells to where he made his combo, I had Invigorate and Berserk, and he just died. So was it greedy to not crop rotate for a maze there? No, I think that if you if you take a look at what could have happened, I tapped out to play my Glisten Elf. Mm-hmm. So if he crop rotates for Maze of If, then he loses to Vines of Vastwood, which I 100% could have, right? right? So I think it's the better it's the better thing for him to do to actually crop rotate while I'm tapped out to play around Pierce and Flusterstorm, right? And to make sure that I'm dead on the swingback. Okay. Like yeah. he was just he was just unfortunate that I had it. I could see that. So it it would take two cards, right? Like a berserk combo, like invigorate or vines, or become and, immense, or become immense, right? Yep. So if you respond to the vines with rotating for the maze, I guess you're still vulnerable to pierce there. Yes, but I wouldn't have enough mana right. to be able to because vines kick, has to be kicked. Yeah, to kick vines, pierce. But then again, if, if if that happens, right, he's not killing me. Like, the clock's not there. Right. So he still, he needs to, to continue to fade that. That line also loses to me having a crop rotation to get yeah. my wasteland, or him not drawing anything to keep up the clock on me. Yeah, and I'm not about to question Jarvis on lands. I bet that's probably the right line that he took. Yeah, I, I 100% believe it was. So, we go to game two, and... Basically, the same thing happens. I play a Glistener Elf on turn one. He's on the play, and he has Mox Diamond. He has Exploration. He loams back the land, so I know that he has Loam, but I didn't see a Wasteland. I play my Glistener Elf and pass the turn, and then he dies the turn after. So what did you have there? It was two cards. I can't remember. Now, this might have been turn two. It might have been turn three. Like a double Invigorate? Yeah, I believe I had Invigorate become immense. He may have actually wastelanded me a few times and was loaming back wasteland. And I finally had the fetch land to crack to get a green source, so my graveyard was big enough for me to one-shot him with the Glistener Elf. They were two, like, kind of uninteractive games. Jarvis is awesome, and the, the match just wasn't something that was great to talk about because it was just over so quickly. Yeah. So then... After the match, while we're waiting for our team to finish, I told him that I really liked what he did with the Everyday Eternal podcast that he did with Bob and Julian. And I was like, if you want to hear a real legacy podcast, oh, God, cast. No. no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I did not do I did not do that to Jarvis. But I should have. I should have. It would have been great. It would have been great. Oh, my God. Uh, that, you scared me. That would have been a story. Oh, man. So, anyway, my team ends up winning. And we're we're five and two, so two more rounds left. If we win the last two, we can we can day two. So round eight, I play against Miracles and won a very grindy two to one match. I win game one. I thought that I was going to get game two. I actually had a Sylvan going, and thought that I had run him out of relevant interaction. He forced a willed me two times. And I thought that when I was going for it on the last turn, 
that I was actually going to get there with the pump spells, but his last two cards were actually force plus blue card when he had already forced me twice. So I ended up taking a bunch of damage from my own Sylvan, just drawing cards, drawing cards, drawing cards. And I think he only dealt me like six damage with his Snapcaster Mage. But at, at that point, I had drawn so many cards that, that I needed that last turn to get there, and it didn't. So standard modern players finish, and they're watching my game three. We play a super, super tight game three, where I don't have a Sylvan Library, but grind down his hand. And it comes down to that sort of same thing, where he has two cards left in hand, and I have the pump spells to kill him. And his last two cards in his hand were blanks, so we ended up winning, and we're 6-2. and two. And at this point, I'm 7-1 and one going into the last round, and the only match that I lost was the uh, Black-Red Reanimator match where I got pooped on turn 1 twice. So d- did you have a second Sylvan Library in the board? No. So I want to talk about that when we get to the changes that I make to the deck. Yep. But I want one. The matchups that I think go poorly... Really, the sort of gr- the grindy base control decks having a second Sylvan Library completely changes the matchup. I agree, and that second Sylvan Library is like the bottom bitch of my sideboard. That card is so overperformed for me; it's outstanding. Agreed. Okay, so round nine, everything's on the line here. I've dodged Grixis all day. I've gotten pretty pretty favorable matchups for what my deck is trying to do. Miracles is tough, but I think I'm favored. Lands is tough, but my hands were gas, and Jarvis didn't have any of the grindy punishing fire hands, so so that was fine. And I sit down and I finally play against Grixis Delver. So I know this because my opponent's on the playing game one. He plays Bomac Courier, attacks, puts a card under it. I'm thinking, wow, this is probably going to be this is probably going to be tough. Yeah. So I play my Glistener Elf, and I have a days to back it up. And my opponent dazes my Glistener Elf, and I daze his daze. So I have an Elf. He has a Bomac Courier. We are each down a daze. We have no lands in play. And I have a few soft counters and some pump spells in my hand. So I feel like if my creature lives until the next turn, I'm favored. Right. And my opponent untaps, plays his land, ponders, and then passes. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't swing with his Bomac Courier. So... I end up going wide in this game, where after that Glistener Elf, I believe I played another Glistener Elf, and the turn after, I played a Blighted Agent. And the whole time, he's not swinging with his bow mat, not swinging with his bow mat, and finally, I just chip away, and when he tries to go ahead and bolt my guy, I have enough pump spells and soft counters to answer it. So I win game one. I'm very fortunate that I got through Grixis Delver in, in one game. I'm thinking I just need to, like, steal one of these post-sideboard games because it's going to get a little bit worse for me with what happens. Yep. All right. So game two, he's on the play. He mulligans to five. So I'm feeling pretty good about that. I know there are a lot of people that just want to play good games of Magic, but I don't give a shit. If my opponent mulligans to five, I'll fucking take it. So he plays an Underground Sea and a Bomac Courier, and he swings with it. And I actually have the Natural Wasteland in my hand. Waste him. He doesn't hit his first land drop after I wasted him. He swings with the bow mat, swings with the bow mat, swings with the bow mat. I end up getting a creature in play, and I just kill him before he has land. So round nine is done. I, I got that one. Modern player loses, so it's up to our standard player. And they unintentionally draw. Ugh. So we're sitting there like we're 
if we're going to make day two, which we're probably going to, it's going to be the worst record going in. Having a draw is kind of like having a loss when you're talking about big tournaments like that, but at least we're going to get to play. Yeah. Overall in day one, I'm 8-1. and one. The team is 6-2-1. and one. I'm feeling very, very good about the deck, how it was positioned, and how I played. Usually, when I go to a tournament, I can think back on different lines I could have taken when I lost. And honestly, there wasn't much that I could have done in the match that I lost. And even in the, the matches that I won, I think I played pretty good. So I'm sort of feeling it, and we get into day two. Hold on, you starting day two? Well, actually, you know what? Let me let me go back for what happened overnight. All right, so after round nine, we go back up to the hotel room. We start drinking some beers, and we go out to eat. And we take an Uber to this place in Philly. The weather's kind of crappy there. It's raining kind of hard. So I get out of the Uber, go to start to sort of run into the restaurant we're going to and slam the door behind me. Unbeknownst to me, the three people who we're going out to dinner with are climbing out of the back seat of the car. <laughs> and my modern player had his hand on the door frame of the car to pull himself up to get out of the middle seat. So when I slam the door, it fully shuts and locks right on his fucking hand. Now, all I hear is a scream, and I turn around, and his hand is just there. Like, I'm horrified. So I open the door really quick. And on all of his fingers, there's just this gigantic indent from where the door closed into the frame. And I feel so terrible that this just happened. I'm thinking to myself, like, he's going to have to have a judge shuffle for him all day the next day because his hand is fucked up. So we get... We get inside to the restaurant, and his hand looks bad. Like, there's a crooked finger, there's a <laughs> finger that looks like that looks like it's a balloon. And our waiter was nice enough to actually bring over a bag of ice for his hand so he could ice it at the table while we were eating dinner. And this whole time, I just feel terrible. <laughs> that, that's, I'm sorry, modern player. I don't mean to laugh at you. It helps that I don't know who you are. So it, it was it was so bad. It was so bad, and I felt <laughs> I felt terrible. All right, but now on to day two. On to day two. We wake up in the morning. His hand feels better. He can shuffle. We're good to go. Amazing. Yep. It was a miracle. So round ten. I sit down across from a Rug Delver player. Now, don't know it's a Rug Delver player, but I'm on the draw in game one. And I mulligan, and I keep a hand. It was Force of Will, Brainstorm, Glistener Elf, Ponder, Ink Moth, Ink Moth. So two lands, none of them are colored sources. It has a Force of Will and two cantrips along with a creature. It has two actual land drops that I can make, and I'm on the draw with a scry. I think I shipped that one, man. You think you shipped that one? Yeah. Oh, I just... Anyway. I, I disagree with that on the draw. Okay. So I scry bottom... He plays a fetch land and passes. Don't draw a land. Play my Ink Moth. Gets wasted. Don't draw a land. Play my Ink Moth. Don't draw a land. Finally, I hit my land drop on turn four or five. It gets stifled. I force. He dazes. I lose. Yep. 
All right. So game one was just not a game. Game two, I win a super grindy game where I run him out of removal. I use my pump spells as protection instead of trying to combo, which is kind of what you need to do in that matchup. Uh, I end up chipping away, chipping away, and wore his hand down to where he couldn't answer the last one. Now, this game takes a very long time, and my other teammates are still playing, but we start game three. We both end up having pretty suboptimal hands with the way the game goes. We both cast Brainstorms that don't really hit a lot. He's playing Rug Delver with one card in hand. He actually has five lands in play. Ouch. Yeah, I had an Ink Moth and a Tropical Island and a bunch of pump spells in my hand, but I didn't want to start to chip in because I didn't have another mana to protect it. Yep. And I cast a Brainstorm and not hit my third land drop to start to go to town on him. Now, eventually, he casts Life from the Loam. He draws and casts a Life from the Loam to keep on getting back back fetch lands. And he dredges it three times, but he doesn't find a Wasteland. And at that point, my standard and modern player lose, so our match is over, and he scoops his cards up. Now, in that situation, the board state's really uncertain. If I get my third land drop before he gets a Wasteland, I think I just win. Because he still only has one card in hand, and my hand is stacked. So as soon as I have one extra land, he's basically dead. So I don't know what would have happened, but we don't get to finish. So what was the top of your library? Uh, I didn't check. As soon as he, oh. yeah, as soon as he scooped him up, I I packed my cards up. We we didn't we didn't flip him over to see what would have happened. Oh come on, bro. Yep. The listeners deserve to know. Listeners, I won. I would have won that. <laughs> That's exactly what would have happened. Worst case scenario, I can force the first time he flips a Wasteland to Loam, which would give me another turn. So technically, I have two turns to finish. Did you board in Surgical? Because I know you love to do that against Rug Delver. I, okay, only in the mirror. Only in the <laughs> mirror you bring in one. You used to do it with Bant. Sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. You're right, I did. And there are so many people who think you never do that. That's a sign of a terrible player. That's a bad game plan. You're a scrub if you bring in Surgical. If your win percentage goes up by bringing in a card to take a line that wins you the game on the spot, you do it. Like, if you played 100 matches or 1,000 matches bringing in one Surgical in the rug mirror, you are going to win more games from extracting Tropical Island than you are going to lose having a quote-unquote dead Surgical. And even when your Surgical's dead, you can still make sure that you hit cards like Wasteland from your opponent's deck, which completely help you out in the matchup. So round 11. I get paired against Joe Brennan, big vintage player, plays a little bit of Legacy. And he's on the play, and he plays... It was either a beta, a foreign black border, drop, into a foil Noble Hierarch. And I was like, ooh, I didn't actually say this, but I was like, ooh, it's the mirror. And I do the same thing. And then he untaps, and he plays a Tundra, and he swords my Hierarch. And then I'm like, oh, it's not the Mirror, it's Bant! I'm playing against Bant! This is great! I love this deck. So my opponent ends up tapping out a turn or two later for a Jace, tapping his Noble Hierarch to cast it when I have an Ink Moth in play. And the Ink Moth gets animated, and he just dies as a one-shot. Did he have days up? No, he didn't have days. He played. He played the Jason brainstormed. I actually had him covered, 
because it was either double invigorate with a force backup or like he even if he had a force or a daze he was just dead as soon as he as soon as he tapped out yeah that's risky with a jace if they have a, a ink moth you know yep but his deck was completely foil he had judge foil swords he had the foil noble hierarchs he had foil jaces and in game two Wait, which version of the hierarchy you can't just run by that it was the judge foil okay nice so game two i see my first foil true name nemesis Ooh. it was beautiful it was beautiful and you know what that true name nemesis had equipped to it sword of fire nice no actually batter skull no uh sword of feast and famine not that one either come on jet yeah Interesting. so my opponent plays a turn two stone forge and goes and gets sword of fire and ice so immediately on my, on my <laughs> life pad, I just write down in Jet. capital letters, JIT, and then sort of fire and ice underneath it. My opponent sees it, and he just starts to chuckle. Yep. So JIT actually gets active. The only creature that I have is an Ink Moth. He's able to Stoneforge it in, equip, swing, and actually swing again on the next turn. So he has four counters on the JIT equipped to the Stoneforge. He plays a True Name. I have three lands in play. True Name resolves. I Crosin Grip the Umazawa's Jite untap and kill him and get the the Bant Blade matchup. But we had a pretty good conversation about the deck. Like, I told him I love Bant. I asked, I told him that I played it for a little bit. I asked him if he ran Green Sun Zenith, and he said no. He was on just the Hierarchs' ramp. Oh, interesting. Yep, he had the counterspell suite that he had was four force, three days, and two spell pierce, okay. which is what I actually used to run in Bant Stone Blade back before Deathrite Shaman, back in 2011-2012, that time when I played the deck. Yeah. He was an awesome guy to talk to. He had a a completely perfect deck, and I'm not sure how his day two went. So my team loses again. Finally, I get a match that, like, probably just not going to win. So I played against the lone Grixis control player in round 12. Baleful Strix, Snapcaster, Bolt, Push... K-Command, Liliana of the Last Hope, everything. Game one ends with me getting completely rolled over. The game ends with him having two Strix in play, a Lily of the Last Hope, a Jace, and a bunch of mana untapped, and I just, there's no way I'm pushing through that. Game two, the modern match had finished, so both modern players were slid over to watch Legacy. And with the way that my opponent was holding his cards to show him to his modern player... My modern player saw every one of his draw steps. So I straight up had a free free active Gitaxian probe the entire game two. And I still get rolled. Like my Jesus. opponent my teammate is writing down the cards that he draws. And it, <laughs> at one point it's like Edict, Flusterstorm, Force, K Command, Bolt, Brainstorm. And I'm like, Okay, what what am I gonna do now? So I lose that one. The team loses. We're we're dead for prizes. The team six five and one, and my personal record's nine two and one. So we decide to leave to pack it up and start the trip back to Massachusetts. So after round twelve, we leave. We get in the car. We're booking it. We get to about the Connecticut border, about I don't know two and a half hours after we left, and we get notifications on our phones for the pairings for round 14 from Top Decked. What the fuck? 
So apparently, neither of the other two players checked drop on the match slip. So we got the buy for round 13. Now, if you're in day two of a tournament and you get the buy, things are not going well. But our team had more match wins from our car driving home than we did in the three matches we played. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we get paired for round 14. Obviously, we're in Connecticut. And then we get dropped for round 15. We finish in 27th place, which is still fine. Day two didn't go our way. But individually, I think that Infect proved itself to me as a very strong deck going forward. It actually finished in the finals of the team open. And I would... 100% run this back if I had a Legacy Tournament tomorrow. Yeah, that's pretty awesome, man. Congratulations on uh, your finish. So w- you were saying Infect felt good? It did. I had fortunate pairings. I only got paired against Grixis twice, and one of those one of those matches ended with my opponent mulliganing to five. I feel like the majority of the metagame, I really like my matchups. I've, I've said this a bunch Rug Delver isn't favored, but it's really close. Yeah. Miracles is probably a slight favorite, but it's close. And I really like my combo matchup with the Flusterstorm main deck and the ability to board into three of them. The soft counterspell package that you have after sideboarding really makes the spell-based combo matchups feel really good. Yeah. I think right now that's kind of where you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. So... Coming out of Worcester last week, I was kind of down on Infect. I think I gave it like a CC plus when we talked about it. Yep. You know, I kind of had a disheartening experience. I was like two and three at Worcester or something like that. And our friend Wilson had shipped me a Maverick list that was super streamlined, was doing some interesting things that I really kind of wanted to start testing online this week. Now, is this is this our friend Wilson Hunter? I think that's his last name, yep. Oh, Wilson, Wilson shipped you a Maverick a Maverick list? Does he need to outsource his green-white testing because he's sort of like above playing a deck like that? I won't confirm or deny. Okay, okay. I'm just, I just want to check. <laughs> so anyway, I was really high on, on playing this deck, but I had a league. So for, testing for Worcester, you know, I played a couple leagues with Infect online, and I had a league that I was 1-1 in the night before Worcester. So I had to finish that out before I switched over to Maverick. And... I ended up winning out, so I ended up going 4-1 in that league. The cherry on top was a win against Joe Lissette, which is always fun. He was streaming that one. Was he playing Rest in Peace Helm Miracles? No. Uh, he was playing, it looked like Stock Enchantress to me. Okay, that's interesting. I yeah. know he he just started streaming again, uh, and I tuned in the first night that he was back streaming on Twitch, and he was playing uh, a blue-white Helm miracles built interesting so yeah i haven't gone back and watched it yet actually listen to him berate me for what he may or may not think i have in my hand and my play patterns he he always sort of plays non-traditional versions of decks he was a miracles master but never really played the stock lists and his stream he plays a lot of decks that are similar to that like rest in peace helm and i guess enchantress i didn't see him play that so, yeah, so I finished that league up at 4-1, and I looked back at it, and I was 10-5 through three leagues with uh, Infect. And for me, playing Legacy on MTGO, 
That's actually that's pretty good, honestly. I played a lot more limited on Moto, and my rating is consistently, you know, in the 18s. But for Legacy, it's not that good. So 10.5, I'm like, why am I, you know, why am I abandoning this deck right now? And I thought back to Worcester, and I didn't have the best matchups, and my deck certainly didn't treat me that well. I don't think that I punted any rounds at Worcester, especially because I had my teammates to consult with if I had any tough decisions. But, you know, I just had to honestly think about it. Honestly, and this is this is hard to say, but I don't think I've been playing the deck optimally, but I also don't think I've been building it optimally. Like, I kind of was mailing it in. So I played Infect for a stretch of, like, three months back in 2016, mm-hmm. and I did really well with it. Like, the first time I picked it up, I played it in a Classic, and I went 7-2, and then I top-aided a 1K, and then I got second in the budget bracket of... Uh, Eternal Weekend in the Vintage, yeah. I remember hearing stories of you playing Infect in Vintage. Yeah, it was pretty sick. I just brought a Legacy Infect deck with missteps. I switched off the deck pretty soon thereafter, but I basically just thought, okay, yeah, this is an easy deck. You know, going back to it, it's like, well, you know, I remember how to count to 10. This will be like riding a bike. I kind of just copied some sideboard lists that had done well and just sort of, you know, tried to run with it. Uh, without doing, you know, much testing or theory crafting on the deck. And I think that you were totally right about including a basic island, looking back at it. And I think that the white in the sideboard really wasn't providing uh, as much as I as I thought it was. And I have, like, a much more streamlined sideboard plan now. And I have took the deck through two more leagues. I'm still winning with it. And I actually decided for the first time to play in the challenge on Sunday. So we had a pretty rainy day here. And yeah, I decided let's you know let's play a challenge. So round one, I play against Death and Taxes, win that one. Round two, I play against Death and Taxes again. And in game three, he had just got a Jit online and it had two counters. Now I had in my hand uh, become immense and invigorate, and a ponder. So I ponder, looking for a third pump spell to win the game right there, because this is a blighted agent I haven't played. And I look at the cards, I see no pump spell, and I shuffle, and then I think, oh shit, that was a Hierarch. And with a Hierarch there, you can force the action. Because as soon as the Exalted trigger hits, that's your first pump spell. Yep. So that's an example of just a stupid fucking punt that I'm making, you know? Yeah, uh, uh, crop rotation. Crop rotation will do it too. Yeah. Because you can actually crop rotate for Pendlehaven to to get an exactly. additional additional trigger to get out of the uh, jit range. Yeah, now I was just totally sleeping on the Hierarch. So that was a punt in Game 3, and I ended up losing that game. And then Round 3 I had, I was playing against, like, a Nick Fit, but this is, like, the Arena Rector version. Okay. Sort of, sort of like, eight Rectors, I guess. And there was a play where, in Game 3, I needed to be able to disrupt him. He had a Veteran Explorer in play, and an Evolutionary Leap, and... I, again, pondered, and I shuffled away a Force of Will, thinking that I couldn't keep it because I didn't have another blue card. And what I actually had, if I had thought about this, was once his Veteran Explorer died, I had two basics in the deck, and I could actually hard cast the Force of Will to stop his Rector from coming down. So that was another punt in a Game 3. And I won the next three rounds, but then ended up losing to like a mono-black Depth 3 animator deck. 
that for once I actually didn't punt that away. But yeah, basically I feel like I'm just playing the deck a little suboptimally. I feel like actually now my sideboard plans are ironed out and I actually have a build that I'm happy with. But I think that I, I underrated this deck, honestly. I think that it's definitely in the B, B-plus range, like you were saying last week. And I just need to, you know, eat a little humble pie here. I think I considered it, you know, not, not the most skill-testing deck to play. Well, to be fair, Legacy in general is kind of skill-testing. And going into Wister, you, you only had a league or two with it. And even after Wister you had some bad matchups where if you get paired against certain decks in a tournament and you go home and you think about how the tournament went, you can definitely have that feeling that the deck isn't as good as it is because of your matchups. Like, maybe Grixis Death Shadow is a better deck than I'm giving it credit for because I played against a Death and Taxes and an Agrolom when I was in my league. But I think that we called the meta right for the first two tournaments. I'm not necessarily saying that Infect is going to be great going forward, but I think right now it is positioned very well. I definitely agree with that. And my sideboard plan now, I, I took a look. You posted in like the Down with the Sickness Infect Facebook group your sideboard, and I believe we're off by a couple cards. So you have a Spell Skite where I have a Sylvan Library. I actually really like the card Druid's Deliverance. I've been extremely impressed with this since coming back to this deck. It's great to like board in against like your blue-white Stoneblade, where you need to be able to destroy a JIT, but there's also the possibility that they just don't play any artifacts in this game, and you know you can just cycle through that card. So I've been super impressed with it, but I actually found a card that I think I like more, and that's Hercule's Recall. And we talked about this briefly and I think I'm gonna have to sell you on this one. You're gonna you're gonna have to explain why you think Hercules Recall is a card you want in your sideboard. So I got into a match recently with uh, Moon Sapi where they ended up having three ensnaring bridges and a chalice on one down. And you sort of get into the situation where you're like, you know, I can draw all of my permanent removal because you know if we're not running white, you don't have swords of plashers anymore. You basically you have a Druze Deliverance and a Crossing Grip to deal with problem permanence. But, you know, you're so buried under that number of things, you don't have, like, an engine explosives or something like that to get you out of that situation. But what started me down this path was I played against Pakula online, and he was on that, like, crazy um, Antiquities War deck. And that's just beyond taxing to your removal. And there are two sort of threats, like Karn and Antiquities War aren't actually artifacts, so it just puts you in a tough spot. And that's what got me thinking about Hercules Recall. Not that I feel like I need to have a card for that matchup because it's still extremely fringe, but that's just what put it in my head. And when I did play this deck in Vintage, I had Hercules Recall on my sideboard. So that got me thinking about it again. And so the Death and Taxes matchup, post-board, the cards you're thinking about, they have Vile, they have Equipment, they have Canonist, they have uh, Revoker and possibly something else that I'm missing. But anyway, so the way that the games typically play out, they're pretty compacted. When you're playing Infect, the games are pretty compacted. They can end on any turn, right? So really, what you need to do is find a window. And when they swing in with the JIT, 
if you just recall them at that point and then take like a a canonist with you or uh aether vial on two or three effectively killing the card for the rest of the game that's a really powerful play or in a couple situations i've been able to do it on end step where okay yeah they gain four life off their jit you know but you don't give them a chance to hit your ink moth nexus with the jit so now all of a sudden they just go up to you know four or five cards in hand and you get the chance to cast all your spells, you know, chain together your spells, get that cannonos off the board for that one turn, get the jit off the board for that one turn, and just kill them in that window. And the same kind of thing, actually, I won my first match with Infect against Blood Moon Stompy this way. What sort of happens in those chalice matchups is your hand clogs up, right? If they, if they are able to stick a chalice, especially if they're on the play. You end up with a, a hand that's like, you know, Hierarch, Glistener Elf, Ponder that are just sort of rotting there. And what you can do is recall, send the Chalice back, and sometimes catch like a Chromox or a Bridge or whatever they have, and do that on end step. And then they're sort of stuck because they have to play out the Chromoxes for no value just to get their hand down for the Bridge. And if they have multiple Bridges, you're going to create a window where you can attack there. But really what you can just do is dump your hand there, you know, play all your ones out. And then you don't care if they deploy the chalice again because you've, you know, cast your ponder, cast your hierarch, cast your glistener elf. Basically, I feel like that's as good as a druid's deliverance in that situation. And then you get the plus side of like these steel stompy, where hooker's recall is just like the nut card. And it also has some utility, like if you're playing in the mirror, you can bounce ink moths and spell skites without targeting. Because spell skites is truly the mirror breaker. And you can even, in a pinch, use it to as like a ghetto Vines of the Vastwood to save your own Ink Moth Nexus. It's really not ideal, but I'm really liking Hercules Recall so far. Okay, so a few points I want to go through. Starting in the Death and Taxes matchup that you mentioned, I don't think you need another card for the Death and Taxes matchup. I feel like you just win that anyway. And in all of the situations you were talking about, uh, with Jit being online, you can stave it off for a turn with Vines of the Vastwood on their creature. And usually in that matchup, because you're keeping in all your pump spells, they don't have enough time to get the Jit online. So I feel like Death and Taxes is a matchup where you don't need that. I may not even bring it in in that matchup, even if I have it in the sideboard. Because your other cards are more effective at doing what they do. The mono-red moon matchup, in the situation you're describing, absolutely Hercules Recall is insane. But there are a lot of matchups where you die to Blood Moon, and you die to Rabble Master, or Pia and Kieran Nalar. And obviously your recall can take out the tokens and maybe an artifact land, but Hercules Recall isn't going to save you from half of their draws. Yeah, I definitely understand what you're saying, and it's possible that maybe a second Crosin Grip for like you know the decks that are bringing in Blood Moon against you would be superior there. I'm definitely not ruling that out, but so far I've had a lot of luck with Hercules Recall, and I'm going to continue testing it. Okay, the the thing that you didn't discuss that actually I think might make me want to test it is the emergence of the Eldrazi post deck. Yeah. Yep. The one that won the challenge, that Joey won the challenge with last last week, popped up a lot this week in Philly. A lot of people saw that list and put it together. 
I think there were three of them, if I'm there, not mistaken. There were, and one of them was one card off from his exact list. Hitting the Artifact Mana Acceleration and Trinispheres and Chalices from that deck can really give you a window to go off. And that's a deck that the Hurgles Recall is excellent against. Yeah, and I was I was thinking about that deck. I haven't actually played that matchup yet. But that was something I was thinking about when I put it in. What would you cut to make room for that? Do you mean from your sideboard? Yeah, like, our sideboards are different by a few cards. What are the differences, and what do you have the Hercules Recall in for? So you have Caracas, Bog, Surgical, Crop Rotation, Deliverance, Grip, Corruptor, Spell Pierce, Two Flusterstorms, Force of Will, Needle, Two Cages, and a Spell Skite. Is that yes. correct? Yep. Okay, so I'm not playing the second Grafdigger's Cage. Grafdigger's Cage or Hercules Recall? Yeah. I could see cutting that, but... I think that Black Red Reanimator is something that's going to have a higher metagame share than all of the other decks that we mentioned. Like, it's going to be higher than Eldrazi Post. Yep. It's going to be higher than Mono Red Moon, most likely. Probably higher than the two of those combined, with how Black Red is sort of coming back. I think that people were afraid to pick it up after rotation because of the increase in graveyard hate and now that people are starting to trim down black red is back yeah and it's funny because we talk all this shit about our reanimator matchup being good but i lost to it in the challenge and you lost to it in the open yeah now it's a good matchup but that deck no matter how your matchup is can just kill you on turn one exactly you, you can have force days pierce and then just die but Cage doesn't help you with that. So, like, the only card that really, really helps you with they have Chancellor is Fairy Macabre, right? Well, Fairy Macabre is one, but I I can't see running that unless Black Red ends up getting a huge gain in metagame share. I think that you just have to to play the game where you have your your zero-cost interaction, and if they have Chancellor, you're dead anyway. Yeah, so I, I think that that's an argument for a second surgical, honestly. Well, that's that's one of the things that I would argue for, is that if I could go back, I would probably drop down on one cage for one more surgical. Okay. And if I was going to cut something for the recall, it would probably be the Viridian Corruptor. So I've actually gotten in a couple situations now where the Corruptor's been amazing. Uh, one of them was Curse of Death's Hold that Nick Fit searched up against me, and I managed to get that game just because I had Corruptor in my deck. Does Corruptor hit enchantments? No, but it's the only thing that's not a 1-1. One, one. Oh, okay, I understand. Yeah, and I used to have Necropede in the board as sort of like the 13th threat. Yep. I think Corruptor's just like a better Necropede, even... You know, in the matchups where artifacts, you don't really expect an artifact. It's just a 2-2. Yeah, I, I felt that as far as artifact removal goes, I always wanted to have Deliverance or Grip over Corruptor. And the fact that Corruptor is just a 2-2 isn't enough for me right now to warrant a sideboard spot for it. Okay. And I'm not going to sideboard for cards like Curse of Death's Hold. If somebody, if somebody plays that against me, they, they deserve the win. It's more like Zealous and... Um holy day you were talking about before just these minus one effects in general i'd say i feel like we're really well positioned to take care of the minus one effects with our pump spells and acting as natural counters for it 
True. And we're sort of protected protected with Ink Moth Nexus if they try to to do that outside of combat. Because if you're casting a Zealous or a Holy Light or Holy Day in combat against Infect, you're kind of playing your removal spell wrong. Because that's just a way that you die to pump spells. Yeah, and honestly, since I started playing this deck, I haven't had anyone try to interact with me during combat at all. No, the, the correct way to do it is end step after combat is over. While the Ink Moth is still a creature, while all that's going on. Have you had anybody interact with you during combat? No. Yeah, same. So what about the spell skite? How good has that been for you? So the reason why I had it was the matchups that involve Lightning Bolt, Fatal Push, and Swords to Plowshares. It is a house against. Right. Anything that's relying on spot removal, spell skite, just answers it. I bring it in in all of those matchups that revolve around spot removal, and it usually ends up eating a counterspell on its way down. There is almost not a single card that I would rather have in play than a spell skite when I'm attacking with an Ink Moth creature. So part of the problem that I've noticed is people bring in their artifact destruction against you because of the nexuses. So you get your wear tears, your stuff like that. And it just, when I ran it in a league, it kept the turn after I played it just eating artifact removal every time. So I was happy to replace that with a second library. And I haven't looked back because the second library has been like invaluable. It's like the card you want to stick against miracles. It's the card that you want to stick against death and taxes. I just, I love it. I feel like once I've cast a, a library, I feel so far ahead in the matches. Now, I I actually don't like library in the Death and Taxes matchup. Interesting. It is something that I felt like that I don't really need. It is, yeah. I'm like 3-1, I think, since I started playing this deck again. It doesn't feel like a bad matchup. Seven library is a weird fucking card, man. It is. It is. I, I really hope with this uh, pro draft where they're drafting like all the fucking obscure stuff. Yep. That they open, somebody gets Sylvan Library with Chains of Mephistopheles. <laughs> that that is not a good card combination. No, fingers crossed. I think that about wraps it up for me. Do you want to jump into the uh, listener question that you got? Yeah. So during last cast, we asked if there were any listener questions, and we had a Twitter question from Fetzonk, and this is really nice. So thank you for asking this question, especially especially for saying these nice things about the cast. So here we go. Your podcast has become quickly my favorite one. Could you elaborate a little more? Why do you think that Esper Blade is the worst Stoneblade deck? Discard and Strix seem to be so strong. So do you want to take this one, or do you want me to answer? I absolutely want you to answer this ah, one, because okay. this is a tough one. It is a tough one. And here's where I'm going to start to frame this answer because we're really talking about what we thought was going to happen in week one week two week three where death and taxes and rug delver were the decks that we thought were going to have the highest metagame share and i think we're right about that if you look at the data we were right and we said that the decks that you want to play are decks that have better mana bases against stifle and wasteland and esper out of all of the Stoneblade decks, probably has the worst matchup against Stifle and Wasteland. 
You have to play more Black Dual Lands to be able to play your Strix and your Thoughtseize and your Black Sideboard card. That you have a less resilient mana base than Blue White or Blue White Red, and you don't have Noble Hierarch that Bant has. So while the cards in Esper are very good, your mana base is a weakness, and you can sort of stumble to those two decks that we mentioned. Now, going forward, if we start to see the Stifle Mana Denial package pull back, Esper could move up because of the ability to have Thoughtseize and the strong black sideboard options. But the reason why I was down on Esper, at least at the beginning, is because I wouldn't want to play that mana base in the field that we thought was going to show up. Yeah, and the reason I let you take this question is because I haven't actually played any matches with Esper in this new format. And in theory, it still seems good to me. So I'm not really sure, you know, what play patterns are really choking it up. Because I would love to have access to Zealous Persecution. And I would love to have access to Thoughtseize in my blue-white Stoneblade deck. And again, your blue-white Stoneblade deck, when you take into account the mana denial, you might just be better off by playing blue-white or blue-white splash red sideboard. Yeah, it's possible. And it's certainly weaker to Blood Moon than the blue-white-red version. I think that that's like the nod there. Yeah, it, it's a tough question. And honestly, I don't know if you saw this uh, this Planeswalker that got printed today. Or got spoiled today, I should say. I have no idea what its name is. It's this like, creepy-looking marsh monster thing. But it's uh, blue-white-black for a three-loyalty Planeswalker with a plus one that's draw a card and put a card back on top of your library, and a minus one that is flicker another permanent that you control, and an irrelevant ultimate for all intents and purposes. But that got me thinking about Esper today, and jotting down a couple lists that could be pretty well positioned to this metagame. And I'm honestly, I'm not convinced that Esper is unplayable. But what are your thoughts on this Planeswalker? All right, so... Really quickly, I don't think Esper is unplayable. I think that right now the other Blade decks are probably a little bit better. I think it's on the same level as Bant, actually. And I think that Blue-White and Blue-White-Red are just a step above because of the mana bases. That's fair. I also don't think that that ultimate is irrelevant. Yeah, I sort of shorthanded that. So against, especially against like uh, Grizzlebrand decks... I could definitely see using that, you know, if you're trading it for a big enough threat. But basically all the lists that I was building are 12 to 16 permanent decks that have board presence. And it just seems like if you have a Planeswalker out that you've activated for multiple turns, it seems like you're going to have a healthy enough board that you'd have to be trading it for quite a bit. Well, I mean, one, against Grizzlebrand, you're not going to have this Planeswalker on the board for long. Or they're just going to kill you with Grizzlebrand. And the the minus could be relevant. Like, Stoneforge Mystic and Snapcaster Mage come to mind. I don't know how good that ability is. I, I don't know if this card is high enough impact for me to want to play it. Okay, so when you think about these Esper decks, the, the three or four creatures that you start with, Snapcaster Mage, Baleful Strix, Stoneforge Mystic, sometimes Dark Confidant. This card synergizes really well with all four of those cards. And then peripherally, you have 
Meddling Mage, True Name Nemesis, and Vendillion Click. This card just synergizes with all of them, in my opinion. What True Name would be the weakest one because it just gives Vigilance. And then Dark Confidant, all you're really doing is stacking a card so that you're not taking any damage. But with the other ones, they're all effectively like draw a card. Snapcaster, blinking a Snapcaster is even better than drawing a card because you're drawing a spell that you want. Uh, Strix is straight up just give it Vigilance and draw a card. Stoneforge, it has synergies on both sides because you can put equipment back into your deck and then flicker it and get that equipment back out. So the thing that I like the most about this Planeswalker, honestly, and this goes back to when Teferi was spoiled a couple months ago, nobody really jumped on Teferi that I saw going back to like Modern and Legacy as being a card that would show up. But as we've seen, it has shown up in Modern, and I saw it in at least two of the top eight list from the MKM this past weekend and what's so cool about Teferi is you drop it on turn 5 or when you reach 5 mana but you can immediately reset two of your lands and have protection up. But only uh, only if it doesn't get pierced or dazed or pyroblasted or countered on the way down it's, it's very soft on the stack. That's true. And this Planeswalker this Planeswalker is really soft on an empty board. So if you play it on turn three, let's say that you're in a matchup where you're not worried about these. So you play it out on turn three, and then you can immediately untap a land. So you're in Esper Colors. So you can either Thought Seize them or have a Plow, Push, or Spell Pierce. So you're minusing to blink your own land. Exactly, yep. In a deck where on turn three you have your Esper, and if your opponent has wastelanded you, they're taking you off of a color. So you're assuming like you're not playing against Days and you're not playing against Wasteland, and you can uninterruptedly cast this three mana Planeswalker in Legacy. Where if you do that against a deck that doesn't have Days or Wasteland, you're getting comboed on the turn after. That one mana you're untapping probably doesn't save you very much. So what would you be doing on turn three, like casting a True Name or? What other interaction do you have, really? Well, if you're playing a deck that doesn't have Wasteland and Days, you're probably playing against Combo, and you want to be holding up your interaction. You want to Spell Pierce, you want to Fluster Storm, you want to Thought Seize. And if you are going to do something like tap out for a three-mana spell, you probably want it to be a Flash as a Click. Against Combo, Click is probably better than this guy, because you don't have to tap out for it. I would agree that, yes, in my opening hand against Combo, I'd rather see a Click than this card. I also would think that you add one more mana to this card and it could be jace in almost every situation i would rather have a jason play than this card that really makes you jump through hoops to play it well so i completely agree that this is not better than jace like i'm definitely not saying that and i'm definitely not saying that this card is going to bring you into this archetype i'm just saying that i think it might be playable And so, okay, in the combo matchup, if you tap out for Jace on turn four, you know, how does that change anything you were saying about the Days Wastelander getting comboed? Because you get a free brainstorm out of it. Maybe you get another Force of Will. You probably just don't cast the Jace, and you wait to have six mana to where you can protect it, and your brainstorm might find another counter or so. I I just, I think that this card might be playable, but... I don't think the deck that you're talking about, where you are relying on so many Enter the Battlefield triggers and Planeswalkers, how many instants are you playing for Snapcaster Mage? 
So you already said Snapcaster Mage, Strix, Click, True Name, this card. No, so those guys aren't actually in my list. So it, the list that I was sort of sketching up was two or three Strix, two or three Snapcaster, and Stoneforge Mystic. Would you rather have this guy or Gideon? This guy. Really? Yeah, with with like a full confidence level. I, I just haven't been impressed with Gideon in a long time, honestly. Okay. Certainly I would rather have Jace than this guy. Would you rather have Lily of the Last Hope or this guy? Well, yeah, okay, so there's this distinction, right? What I'm assuming is that double black is a liability because of the the mana the low mana situations in this format. I just can't see playing more than one swamp, and I don't want to be fetching duels if I don't have to. So I consider this de- this a playable card in a deck that doesn't reliably have double black. Okay, I I think that. I could be wrong about this because the plus one could just be way better than I think it is. This card is very bad on an even or empty board that the advantage that you're getting for tapping out for three mana to play this guy is, is very marginal. I think that being able to to hold up a mana on the first turn and still have some interaction going. So now you've got you know some board presence down and you've got some interaction up. But, but you're playing this guy and then minusing it to two to untap a land, it's just going to die. I mean, it's possible. So we're talking about an empty board. So what's it going to die to? Only Bolt, right, at that point? Well, Bolt, Forked Bolt, Pyroblast after sideboard. Yep. I think that it's going to take somebody else doing work with this card to show me that I'm wrong about it. I don't think it's better than the other options that are in Esper right now. And I think that in playing it and trying to maximize the blink puts you into a deck with too many cards that aren't going to synergize well together. So do you remember the deck that Ben Brandt was playing at the Leaving a Legacy 3K? You guys played in like round six or seven. I think he knocked you out, actually. He ended up making top eight. It was an Esper deck without Stoneforge. Deathrite, Bob, Liliana, Jace, Snapcasters, and a bunch of removal. Yeah, so basically without Death Right, Double Black becomes a problem for that deck. So I was talking to him today about how, how he was retooling the deck and what he thought of this Planeswalker. And yeah, Double Black is a liability. So if you're going to this build, so he had him to Turok. I think he had actually four after board. He had four him to Turoks available. And if you're losing that, I think that Predict could potentially be an engine for this deck. Especially, the, it synergizes with this card. You're already playing the eight cantrips. You know, you don't have the portents like the other decks would have that typically have play, played how, predict. How does this card synergize with predict? Because you're putting cards back on top. I, I think that's really dirtily, and I think that you just can't be doing that unless you're unless you're miracles. You, you can't you can't play a Bob predict this guy deck in Legacy right now. You're just gonna get rolled. I think if all your other spells are one-mana interaction spells, I think that is a pretty safe engine to be playing for card advantage. But I guess we'll we'll see how this works out. Okay, yeah, I I just I feel like a deck like that where you you're relying on this guy Bob and predict in a bunch of one-mana interaction, you're you're not doing anything powerful, and you're doing something that's fairly easy to disrupt. But bro, when has Esper ever done anything powerful? Never. And I'm, I'm fully willing to admit that I could be wrong about this card. Yeah, I don't know. The plus one is nice. 
the the minus one takes some work, and the decks the decks other than just an Esper Stoneblade would have to do quite a bit of work to change to be able to play this. I feel like in the combo matchups, this card isn't very good. And right now, the meta is sort of split between Delver and Combo. There aren't a lot of mid-range decks. So I don't see where its spot is in the meta for it to be good. It's not a bad card. I can't see it fitting into a winning deck right now. I definitely don't see it fitting into the meta of two weeks ago. But it seems to me, and I guess we'll kind of get to this coming up, that the meta now, Rug Delver is severely underperforming in, in a lot of these tournaments. But what's going to happen is it's it won't be Rug Delver, it will be Grixis. And this card right. still sucks against Grixis. Like, if if, they're, if you're playing against Wasteland, Delver, and, and Daze, this card sucks. Is Jace good in that matchup? I mean, it's better than this. I would cut Jace before I cut this. Well, I think one of the things is that in that meta you just don't play you don't play Asper, you play Blue White, and this card doesn't have a home. So we're we're talking about Delver's not going away. It won't be Rug, right. but it will change. And if the field gets swapped for Rug and Grixis, like we think it's going to, how does how does this card perform? And I'm saying that Delver is clearly not the best matchup for it, but it's a horrible matchup for Jace as well. So I'm saying if you're if you're willing to put Jace into your deck, then this is not arguably not even as bad as Jace in that matchup. This Esper list that, that I'm talking about, in theory, if the meta settles to a place a little slower of a place, I guess, a little less wastelandy of a place, where we can play Esper again, I'd like to try this card. Okay. I, I can see that. I don't think we're headed there. I think I think we're still going to be in a Delver combo metagame, and that this card won't find a home. Yeah, it certainly looks that way. I don't know if you saw the results from the MKM, but they had 15 black-red reanimator players in their field of like 220 or something like that. Yep. That's terrifying. Well, again, it's a very strong budget deck and like we both saw it can just kill anybody on turn one through almost any interaction yeah it's a very scary deck and the initial assumption was that like blue black was back now that death right was what caused the shift to black red in the first place but it seems now like the informed opinion is black red's still just the better deck it is i've been unimpressed playing black blue and playing against black blue I think sacrificing the speed for more resiliency isn't where you want to be. And the potential to not draw the black-red deck is too much of a benefit to switch to blue-black. Yeah, no, I agree. And Chancellor of the Annex is a hell of a card, you know? That That is a card. I'd be interested to test Chancellor in a black-blue shell to, yeah. see, to see how that could perform. I do remember seeing one. I think it was at grand prix louisville that we were at back in like january of 2017 i think somebody top 16 with chancellor in a blue black deck but other than that i it's not something i've really seen explored yeah you want to start with the decks from the classic yeah we had we had our boy tom hep tom hep with bug depths winning it he has been on this deck almost card for card for a very long time i played against him in grand prix columbus in 2016 where we were both undefeated and uh, I believe his list was very similar. He had 
Mox Diamond well, had, and the one. He had Death Rite, though, right? I don't believe that he was playing Death Rite in that deck. Oh, I thought he was. I thought that that was sort of the whole thing about it. I could be wrong, but... Maybe maybe he was. I do not remember seeing one. Okay. But he has at least been on this build for the last year or so. And he is a very good player with a lot of practice with his deck, and things went well for him during the tournament. There aren't too many major differences between this deck and the regular black-green depths deck. He gets access to Brainstorm and a one-of Stifle, but I think that just making a 2020 quickly is powerful enough in this meta right now. It kind of reminds me of Lick and Baxter, too. Like, the two of them both have, like, their own little thing going on with the bug depths. Yeah, they're, they're obviously doing very well with the deck, and it seems like it hasn't been adopted by other players. No, it, it doesn't. And I think that's just because the games really do play out so similarly to the black-green depths deck that that the edges that Tom gains are probably from a ton of practice with his list, where people who are just picking the deck up are probably better sticking with a with a stock build. Yeah, I could believe that. So in the finals, he played against another deck that is pretty interesting. It's Blue White Helm. Yeah, rest in peace. Rest in peace is good. It hits Rug Delver really hard. It gives you access to Energy Field, which in a lot of game ones, just means that you automatically win, and combos with Helm. This deck is so weird. When you see one Enlightened Tutor in the main, because you have two Back to Basics, two Helm of Obedience, two Counterbalance, two Energy Field, one Humility, usually what you think of is a whole bunch of these bullets and four Enlightened Tutors, rather than two each of these bullets and one Enlightened Tutor. Yeah, and the interaction between Enlightened Tutor and a Counterbalance in play sort of... I'm not saying that it is top. <laughs> it's cute. But it's cute. it works like top used to. And yeah. I definitely think that what you're going towards was saying, you know, maybe we cut back on a back to basics, maybe we cut back on an energy field, and we add two more enlightened tutors to the deck is probably correct. And I would certainly be adding a moat to this deck too. That is a that, that is a card. But yeah. I mean to be fair, energy field does a pretty good job of being moat. That's true, yes. So you might not need both. You don't really have to worry about Abrupt Decay anymore. So, yeah, that could be just correct. And, again, we see a Stock Miracles build. We see Eldrazi Post, similar to the one that won last week. And we see Infect again in fifth place. Yeah, Jacob Bard. Nice finish. So we had Infect in second in the Team Open. Yep. And we had Infect in top eight of the Classic. So that's that bodes well for our meta call. And then... We also see Elves here in the top eight of the Classic, and Elves also won the MKM event across the pond. The European and the American metagame are shaping up differently. Yes, I agree. I can't I can't speak for what players are thinking and, and tuning towards over there, but Elves could be primed to make a comeback. We didn't really see it in the U.S. We have a nice finish here from a fairly stock Elves build. I've been really wondering a lot about elves. So, on the Everyday Eternal podcast, uh, Julian didn't really take like a, a firm stance about whether elves was he thought it would be better or worse. And from the finishes that I've seen so far, it looks like it hasn't been doing well at all, which is interesting to me because I didn't immediately see any reason in the meta that it wouldn't be doing at least as well as it had been doing. Before the bannings, we were at a spot where Grixis Delver was beating Elves. 
Yeah. And the other fast combo decks were also beating elves. That's kind of a bad spot to be in. Death and Taxes is obviously a great matchup for elves, but what else sort of in our meta does elves prey upon? I don't think that it's Rug Delver matchup is as anywhere near as bad as this Grixis Delver matchup. I, I so, agree with that, but I think we both would agree that Rug is sort of on the downswing, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. But going back to a couple weeks ago, like look, just looking at this meta at its day one form, it surprised me not to see Elves showing up when Rug Delver was the most popular deck. And even at the MKM, it was still the most popular deck in the room. So what about the Eldrazi matchup? Is that killing Elves? I don't think that's a that's killing. I think the Eldrazi post matchup, the one with three main deck Trinisphere, yeah, that's that's probably a nightmare matchup for Elves. But I, I don't think that that deck was super popular. I think it's going to get a lot more popular, but I don't think that's what was holding Elves down. I, I think that its combo matchup was really holding it down leading leading up to now. So it's not like this meta is heavier combo than the previous one. So I feel like it's like a, a net neutral. And I agree with you, this this doesn't look like a great meta for Elves, but neither did the last one, right? So maybe it's just still a 45% deck? Or pilot, pilot dependent. Like, you can pick up any Legacy deck and you can top 8 a tournament with it. Whether right. or not it's something that we would say, this deck is good now, pick it up. I, I don't have enough experience with Elves to say whether or not it is or isn't. Agreed. Yeah, we we should probably uh, defer to the experts on this one because I've never played elves. So I do think that aggro loam showing up here in the top sixteen of the classic is still well positioned, and it just seems like no one's actually picking it up. Yeah, it's it's a deck that when you look at it on paper, it doesn't look attractive for people who are used to playing brainstorm. And I think that it's a deck that when it is good that it's going to have an underrepresented share of the meta because people won't pick it up for that very reason. Yeah. But Grixis Delver, 7th place, Watchwolf, John Sukunek. <laughs> this deck is awesome. I love this deck. Yeah. Now, I don't know about the four true names. I think that maybe that might be a little high on the mana curve for 18 lands. But I love the threat package. Maybe I'd like to see a true name replaced with a fourth Thoughtseize. Maybe uh, another one drop somewhere somewhere in here to sort of smooth the curve out. But Gurmag Angler is still good. Delver is still good. And we see Thoughtseize main deck, which with the soft counterspells, I absolutely love. Yeah, I love the Thoughtseize's main in this deck. And... It's, it's such a bold call, right, to put four True Name in the deck. It seems like he just doesn't like Bomat Courier and really likes True Name. What I would look to is switching out maybe one True Name for a Bitter Blossom or a Young Pyromancer, because he just doesn't have anything in the two slot here. That, that would be the direction that I would go, but I think that being heavy on True Names probably treated him pretty well in this tournament. Yeah, I think... Really, what the Grixis deck was trying to do was trying to figure out what the other threat was going to be that they replaced Deathrite Shaman with. And I think uh, True Name and Bitter Blossom do a really good job of filling that role. And I would I would like to like to try out those cards in this deck. 
I love the mix of Thought Scour and Preordain as well, adding extra cantrips and consistency. And Thought Scour sort of helping out with your Garmag Anglers. If I was going to play a Delver deck, I would play this one. And this is the first list that I've seen from a Delver deck in this new meta that I am excited about. I think I said I that last week about Grixis Death Shadow Delver. But as soon as I played that for a few games, I was off of it. So I'm saying it now about this deck, and I will talk about it next week when I try to play it. Yeah, this deck is very exciting. I agree with you. I think you had mentioned like putting a JIT in this deck, too. Now, a four-true name deck, I don't think that I would run it with four true names, but I could see myself playing uh, a JIT sideboard in this deck. Uh, and I think that it could be very good in a lot of matchups. Especially if you have like a Bitter Blossom, too. Yep. Just enough to carry the JIT reliably. It lets your Delver deck sort of play that mid-range grindy game if you have a threat that can't be dealt with that you can put a JIT on. And opponents sideboarding against you are very rarely going to be bringing in artifact removal against Grixis Delver. Dude, this deck already grinds hard. I didn't even see the Snapcaster in the board, too. Snapcaster, the Liliana of the Last Hope. Yeah, and then a fourth Thought Seize, so you can get all your forces out, Yep. hypothetically. Yeah, this deck, I bet it already grinds pretty hard. There you go. I think this is the deck that I'm most excited about from the list that got published in the Classic. Yeah, I'd agree. I think we can sort of sum up the rest of the, rest of the top 16 by saying that Eldrazi Post is going to be picking up some steam going forward now. It had three top 16 finishes in the Classic. Was I'm guessing it was not very highly represented in the field. And you can see how a card like Trinisphere in this meta is just very, very good right now. And uh, that's the reason that I am actually going to try that Hercules Recall in the sideboard of Infect. Hell yeah. So that's a, that's a good call, Ian. So this deck, this post deck, I completely agree. Not many people own these cards, right? They don't go in any other deck. Like these Trinospheres, these Inventors Fairs, these Glimmer Posts and Vesuva Posts or whatever the hell they're called. It seems like you'd either have to be someone who was playing post before or someone who played Vintage to just have this deck on hand, right? I mean, Posts and Vesuvas are like very affordable. Okay, I actually have no idea what they cost. Yeah, they're but. they're cheap. Uh, Grim Monolith spiked because it's reserve list. Trinisphere is kind of expensive. I think it's somewhere around 30 or 35. But people have Eldrazi. I mean, they overprinted they overprinted the crap out of all of those cards. <laughs> and if you if you look at the creature base and even just the sideboard, like these are things people have. You have yeah. City of Traders, Grim Monolith, and Trinisphere, and then everything else you can pick up very easily. Now that we spent two and a half hours recording, how can people how can people get in touch with you if they want to get in touch with you? They can try Twitter and once in a while I'm there. Ian eighteen one twenty five. Alright. And your Twitter? My Twitter is TSmileyMTG and you can hit up the cast at Dead Format Cast. Follow us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Ooh. There we go. 
and email the cast at deadformatcast at gmail.com. Awesome. I'm fucking tired, Dan. Dude, I just can't wait till like October. Yep. If we're still if we're still recording weekly at that point, because I'm sitting in this fucking sauna of a guest room with no AC going because it's too loud. Yep. No window open because my neighbor kids are yelling, <laughs> and I'm just sitting in a fucking pool of my own sweat in this 85 degree, 100 percent humidity bullshit. <laughs> that sucks. I have air conditioning. <laughs>